welcome to the Pseudo Show, episode 27. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I'm the other host, Justin Edwards. And uh, instead of an interview this time, we're actually going to do kind of a little mid-year media review or recap of our top and bottom TV movies and games if we get to it. Yes, looking forward to this. I think we just passed kind of the, well, I guess it's seven months, but still kind of half of what we'll, we'll be seeing this year and good time to kind of check in and see what our favorites and not yeah. so favorites are. So. Nothing happens in the summer, so it's kind of all the same until <laughs> the new premieres. Right on. So yeah, I, I, No, go ahead. I was just going to say we could start off with TV. Yep, I'm in the middle of um, some TV myself. Um, I just watched, well, just off the bat, I, I've been watching, I watched three yesterday, True Detectives, to get caught up. Um, and I don't, I don't know, like, I haven't read too much. I just see headlines. Like, people are generally not super excited about season two, but I think it's been great personally. What do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt that it will pay off on all these parallel storylines and, and shared histories that are just getting more and more richer and kind of unraveling and, and shown. And, um, you know, I think, uh, if you judge even the first season just on the first episode, you, you know, you might be like, what, what is even happening here? And maybe you were kind of enraptured by one of, you know, Matthew McConaughey's speeches, but you're kind of, you really had no idea what was going to happen. And uh, I think everyone was really pleasantly surprised by how the season ended. And I, I think you got to give season two a chance here. I do too. And and there's something they do in this series, and I, I'm glad they did it again this time around too. I think generally, like structure-wise, you know, they go with eight episodes, and they have a very clear, like after episode four, there's like this kind of split in the story they're telling um, in the in the first season, episode four, halfway through, they had that big epic shootout in the drug kind of house or whatever that oneer. Yeah. Um, but then it kind of like that really turned the story to like a different kind of investigation after that. And then this season, literally, I mean, not a spoiler, but like four four episodes in the fifth episode, they jump ahead like sixty days or whatever it is, and it's like now you see the response of here's the fallout of that first four episode sequence. And now we're going to see yeah. the, the next four is going to be dealing with the consequences. I think, um, I think we can just say spoiler alert and, and be willing to talk details, but uh, just the, yeah, like I, I like that it spans like, you know, a lot of dramas would be tempted to be like within three days, so much happened and got unraveled <laughs> and figured out. But really this is weeks and months and like people are in new jobs or different roles and different relationships. And like, um, yeah, even a nice surprise. And even though the, the show kind of just hops to the new context, it's, it's, it feels like it, it was earned. It's like, oh, the character's submerged in a different context now. Yeah. And, and let alone dealing with what happened at the end of episode four, like there would have been so much fallout. And what were they going to spend an episode dealing with it? Like instead, they just like, let's just jump ahead and say they already dealt with the fallout. They all got different jobs, and now it's like the mystery's still there, though. Like, that's unresolved, so let's tackle it kind of in a rogue yeah. situation. Well, and I want to talk the Vince Vaughn character a bit, because he's kind of seems to be the center of the, the, the naysayers of this season. And mm. uh, I think it's mostly down to people don't like the, the, the lines he has to deliver, the, the metaphors, and, the, <laughs> and admittedly the blue balls and the heart line was kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in general, I, I, I'm really fascinated by his character because, um, 
you know, at the start, he's kind of a badass and like, oh man, this guy's serious. And uh, I, I feel like the more they show around him of, of the, the, the world events, you're like, oh, maybe he's not a big deal. Like he's actually being cut out of everything. And it's kind of this, this madness of not being able to know who's doing this to you and, and why and, and how you can escape it. Definitely. And let alone his kind of personal story with his, his wife and him. Um, but yeah, they do give him, and I said this to you, like it's kind of Dave Mamet-ish kind of lines where it's very kind of direct, poetic, even with how he kind of talks to people. Um, but I, for one, I don't know, like for me, like I'm not a Vince Vaughn fan. I don't really like any of his movies, but like <laughs> something about this role, I think really works for him. At least it works for me. And I, I really enjoy watching him. And for me, he's, he's the hero to me. Like I, I know so much was taken away from him and I like watching him struggle to fight to get it back. You know, good guy, bad guy. Nobody's that in this show. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, and I just really enjoyed his performance and, and Colin Farrell, of course, too. And, and I feel like everybody's been pretty good. You know, maybe Taylor Kitsch is the least his, strong of them all. His grimace is kind of the main feature. Yeah. Uh, Rachel <laughs> McAdams, especially this week's past one. Wow. Oh she really, my. I was like on the edge of my seat at the end of that episode. <laughs> like, awesome. Uh, but really great. I, I think, you know, really impressed. I think they handed off to, you know, the difference between this season and the last season was that first season was all shot with one director. And in this season, I think, you know, mixing up with different directors, I think they've still kept a real consistency there. Yeah, and there was like a warning flag for me. It was like the Fast and the Furious director or something, <laughs> yeah, just, Justin seriously. Lin. And I was just like, eh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, no complaints at all. I think I'm, I'm hooked and I'm all on board and um, I can't wait to see the way these last two go. And I'm like partly excited that the constraint is there. Like they have to get through the story they want to tell in two more episodes. And then part of me is like, ah, oh, I could use more. <laughs> yeah, I think I could too. Um, but and the one thing I also want to say about the Vince Vaughn character was that he spends a lot of the time as a detective himself. And I think it's great. Like he investigates things. He's hunting down people you, and asking questions. You just blew my mind because I, I do like how the show is, is really about detectives. It's really about people trying to unravel mysteries and whether they're officially named a detective or not, um, whether there's an actual crime or not. It's just, and it, like, you know, famously the first season, it wasn't really about the killer. And if you were excited for like a super climactic showdown and there kind of was a little bit, but you know, it wasn't really the satisfying, the murderer had this fascinating psychological speech and <laughs> you know, I don't know. He just got shot a lot. Yeah. And then it was over. And like the, most of the, the finale was really about how, uh, how do the te- detectives move on with their lives? How do they view the world? Like, um, it, it really is using them as a lens for mm-hmm. humans, and yeah, and I, I I agree, and I think that Vince Vaughn is a detective himself too. I'll, I'll say it; he's a true detective, even even kind of accomplishing more than they do. Like since he knows kind of that underworld element, he's able to go straight to the source and go like, "Who is this girl? Where is she? Tell me!" And I'm gonna, and then he ends up talking to her that night while the cops have been looking for her for like weeks. Yeah. Um, I feel like the the whole Mexican 
gang is kind of the the underrated like force that we don't get to see much of that everyone's underestimating like whether it's the russians or the white businessmen it's like do you realize what's out there yeah and yeah and then that that kind of leads me to i guess we can move on to uh, um, better call saul which i think was a great oh my God. series that uses mexican <laughs> gangs <laughs> Yeah, man, it, it, does TV really get any better than these this show and Breaking Bad? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I uh I mean that speaking of my mid-year review, I'd say that's easily top top show for me and completely impressed top to bottom and did not expect it. Even if it didn't d- deliver as much as it did, I still would have liked it a lot, but it really was Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there was a worry it was going to be kind of like the Lone Gunman spinoff of X Files, where it's like, oh, this is not going to work, but it's funny, and I'm glad they did it. Um, it turns out it's it's every bit as compelling, and in some ways, maybe even more compelling <laughs> than Breaking Bad, um, and and manages to like totally fit the universe, but it's not the same story. It's it's a different kind of character. Yep, top to bottom, and you know, even what. Better Call Saul does to kind of unlock what this character is in Breaking Bad. I think you can go back to watch Breaking Bad and feel completely different about anything he has to do with that because you you kind of get to know like, oh, I realize Jimmy is pretending to be Saul and he's playing this part in this big drama in Breaking Bad, but now we get to see like, oh gosh, yeah. he's not just some bumbling, silly lawyer who's like, hey, I'm, you know. It's just great to kind of really get to know him, and they succeeded, I think, every and, level. And just the the casting is so perfect, from the the, the twin skateboarders to <laughs> um, the the Tuco's gang, and uh, oh man. his his brother, and the the kind of jerk lawyer firm. Oh people man, the, and, the whole like you're you're expecting the cliche like pretty boy lawyer douchebag, and like by the end I'm like feeling bad for the guy like oh man like he, he, he was pulling the straight face for Michael McKeon who oh. was the real dick in the situation yeah villains abound uh, but they, and that's what they're so good at I think is they give they don't judge their characters ever and they give them all a chance to be human you know doing the right thing doing the wrong thing you know whatever it is we completely always understand where they're coming from and that's kind of such a key, such a hard thing to do, you know, myself as a writer is like a big part of this is like, how do we get an audience to empathize with our characters, good guys, bad guys, and that doesn't exist. They're just people and we want to know why they're doing what they're doing and put them in situations that kind of tortures their decision making process and then we get to enjoy that ride. Yeah. And uh, not to leave out uh, Mike in this in the show. Oh, I know, seriously. <laughs> and uh, you know, you usually like backstory flashback stuff in in shows is just dreadful. It's like, well, we're gonna do exposition now. Deal with it. And instead, in in this show, it's just a, a masterful example of actually teaching you about the character and showing you things by letting mm-hmm. by you know like. His his life as a cop and and dealing with dirty cops and you know his his guilt and his, yeah like you were saying he gets to be a full human not just a fixer yep yeah and I like that the exposition wise it's kind of the anti exposition show like it's just gonna put you in a situation you're gonna watch what happens and they don't spell anything out for you either and I I I always love that they treat audiences with respect in that sense like you're not candy coated. 
if you missed last week, here's what, you know, they just <laughs> go on and, you know, you catch up and you're smarter for it, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a nice counterpoint when you tell me about Jurassic World, but <laughs> as far as respecting the audience. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, what other shows have kind of hit you this year then? Um, I don't know if this is quite up there for me, but I mean, I, I totally soaked up Game of Thrones and actually, okay. I went through the entire Game of Thrones, all five seasons this year, and I had not watched them previously. So Okay, so you're completely new and you got to watch, what is it, is it 12 a year? I forget what they do. So you watch like almost 50 episodes, more than 50. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just one of those binges and, you know, it seems pretty even straight through for me. I don't know if there's a peak season for me. Maybe there's, you know, three or four got kind of slow and boring when you're just watching Daenerys mm-hmm. be a queen boringly for a, an entire season. Yeah, she treaded water a bit, I think. <laughs> but really for that show, it comes down to Tyrion. <laughs> of course. And just everything, you know, if the show, you know, if there could be a better call Saul that was just Tyrion, like... I sign me up. I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch him do anything, you know. Um, and that's kind of the benefit of such a performance from Peter Dinklage and knowing what they want to do with this guy and, and, and the situations they put him in. Um, yeah, I think I knew, and I've, we've, this has been mentioned before, but I, I knew after watching even just a couple episodes that I, I called it, um, they took Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> Kind of that that epic world war thing set in those fantasy times and like made a TV show out of it and it super satisfies yeah. for any kind of Final Fantasy nerd, I'm sure. Yeah, and tactics is the right reference because it's, yeah, it's fantasy setting, but it's religion and politics and murder and betrayal and, and all that. Yeah, there's plenty of that in the tactics. Um, so yeah, very satisfying in that sense, but then... Yeah, I think you really get on board with Tyrion's story and his swordsman. I forget the guy's name now. He's so fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, what is his name? I don't know. The yeah. guy who's a British pop singer. I, mean, <laughs> I think the the struggle is with any huge ensemble cast like this, um, you, you end up with the characters that just aren't quite as good. And I, I mean, I think they do really well in Game of Thrones, but... You know, how much Stannis can you take? Nope. <laughs> um, it's kind of like Dana and Homeland. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And you're just like, who, who do you zone out for? Yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely any of that Stannis. I, I, it's kind of like, obviously, these are based on books and what George R. R. Martin did, but, you know, killing off half the cast one season, it's great to kind of focus us and we're not bouncing around so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of set on, you know, we know that it's going to be Tyrion and I'm going to go ahead and say Jon Snow is not dead and the Queen, I forget her <laughs> name again, but those are the main kind of story yeah. now. But Oh man, did you not call it a mile away that when she put that religious sect in power that they were going to put her in prison? <laughs> I know, it's so great. <laughs> um, what an experience though, even just putting us on the other side of Cersei as well, too. Like, yeah. like, we stopped judging and saying we hate this lady after what they put her through also, yeah. which is a big deal. It's, again, giving her more of a dimensionality of like, 
she's a horrible person, but she's still a person too, you know? And I heard that uh, it wasn't actually her walking nude through the streets, getting beaten and puked out yeah, and all I've heard that. that too. And I, I heard that the reason is not because she was unwilling to be in that role. It's because she was actually pregnant when they oh, shot that. Oh, okay. So that makes sense too. <laughs> body doubled it. Yep. Plastered on... But yeah, I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm in. And I think what also is really cool to me, I think, is that they're ahead of the books now and they get to do, you know, they're not doing whatever they want, but they are kind of separate and nobody knows what's going to happen. There's no spoilers out there. It's like, oh, yeah. we're going to make this up now as we go along. Yeah, and it'll free up all the book people to complain no matter what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're already complaining probably, but... <laughs> But uh, I think that was three kind of dramatic uh, shows we've watched this year. Another show I watch now, every uh, two years now, I've really fell in love with it, was Silicon Valley. Um, comedy takes place in Silicon Valley, and it's about you know this nerdy, uh, upstart uh, compression <laughs> company and kind of they're dealing with that whole world out there. Um, and even not being... As you know, I'm not immersed in that technology. I probably do miss a lot of the jokes too. I still think they kind of nail it in in kind of the fun of the story they tell. I do think they're really good at they they tell jokes that are like accurate enough. Like they reference real products, real like actual whether it's networking or other crap. Um, they don't like completely fly in the face of someone who knows something about technology, but yet mm-hmm. they are accessible jokes. Like. They are funny to people who don't care about technology. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other day, I listened to a uh, a podcast of the showrunner um, Andy Berg, something like that. Sorry, um, he was on John August's podcast, um, and I had finally I had, I had heard his name with Seinfeld, and I didn't put it together that he was showrunner with Larry David for Seinfeld, and then knowing that he's doing Silicon Valley now makes a lot of sense in the kind of. Seinfeldian way that these characters go through these kind of situations. Um, Every little small detail does come back and play a role later. That's exactly what I thought of when you said Seinfeldian. Yeah, so, and and kind of knowing that now, like, okay, that makes sense. With Mike Judge's kind of satirical side to it all, I think it's kind of a great, perfect marriage for them. Um, But yeah, really enjoyed Silicon Valley. I think I can, I just... I watch it by myself. Juliet doesn't watch it, and I'm I laugh out loud really loudly to myself all the time. And that's there's not many shows that get me to do that. Yeah. So, just the the what's the name Jared? It's not his name, not Jared. <laughs> and they like what do they decide to call him Jared too when another Jared shows up? And he's yeah, he's like, like, but I was. But here. it's also not even my name. But I was here first. <laughs> um. Yeah, really great. Um, so, I mean, that generally for me, at least, that's kind of a first half wrap up of some of my favorites. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to throw in. Or well, I wanted to of- call out some of the, the lesser stuff, which really the only lesser thing, mainly because people <laughs> were raving on it so much. It's not that it's terrible. Um, yeah. But Daredevil. Um, All right. Let's hear it. Um, I just fatigue. Like, it's just so long and so much brooding. And they were going for this, like, tortured, conflicted hero, Catholicism, guilt, whatever. Can I kill people or should I not? 
but these are really awful people. Like kind of the, you know, the whole Batman's always tested to the limit of like, will he kill someone? And it just kind of dragged that on forever. And I mean, there's some good elements here. They actually try to humanize the the villain and, you know, the the main love story in the show is the villain's love story, not the hero's and and yeah, all you that. get to know kingpin a lot more even um, i would say but it just it, it wasn't quite rising to the level i wanted and and denofrio's voice really grated on me <laughs> just like batman's voice after batman begins got kind of absurd and uh i don't know his like it it always goes back and i always made this reference with the the later batman movies um to the wheelchair kid and malcolm in the middle like that's just all i hear <laughs> is the deep breath between every word <laughs> that's a great reference too yeah um, um i mean there's some impressive sequences and like you know it's it's a solid b minus occasionally a c plus but getting through the whole season was kind of a chore so you did finish it too yeah okay um so i can't speak beyond i watched three and you know for me that's the sign of i'm not into it if i can't finish it like i won't watch something i'm not that into um i did think the first couple were pretty great and you know i I was like okay i see what they're doing and you know i i like kind of the dynamic between you know the lawyer buddies and this girl getting to find the jobs for them but then i don't know i just lost steam and obviously it didn't hook me to see it through to the end yeah um it just yeah. it's it's just okay um yeah and the, the the last thing i'd call out about it is there's there's a climactic battle between daredevil and the kingpin in an alley at the last episode and there's this one well if you do nothing else maybe you could fast forward to this battle and watch it okay. um there's a certain kick like the kingpin gets knocked down and somehow he like does a big kick like up to like get up and like hit daredevil and it's just like you're looking at this like very very large man and you're just like there's no way like (laughs) his leg did what it needed to do for what happened to happen (laughs) vincent d'onofrio you know he's a giant of a man um good then i'm gonna go find that i'm sure somebody's pointed it out (laughs) it just doesn't i mean it's yeah it's just absurd um, I guess to close out the TV section, we could just maybe mention a few of the shows we're looking forward to. And uh, top of my list has to be Fargo season two. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to call anything the most pleasant surprise of the past year, TV-wise, it was Fargo. Um, excellent from top to bottom as well. You know, I just enjoy every moment. You you really appreciate the filmmakers are telling a story visually with the camera work too to support it and you know the scripts are great tight perfect Um, casting like one of the best casts that's ever been assembled for something yeah top to bottom and and just you know the stories they're interested in telling um and also why i can't wait for this next one is they're not like it's fargo what are they going to do they kind of did wrap up the main characters plots with this one um they're jumping back in time and giving us another Let's get to know one of these guys a lot more. Yeah, they're going back to 1979. And isn't this supposedly the event that everyone keeps referencing in Fargo in the movie and in the the series, like to that crazy crap that went down decades ago? Yep. And that's, uh, so we get to see the story through the father of kind of the the sheriff cop lady. Um, it's her dad and he's always talking about, you know, today he's just a, you know, he's works at a diner, but he was a cop back in the day and he's always talking about, 
you know, oh yeah, I remember something that went down. That's why I'm not a cop anymore. Um, so we get to find yeah. that out, which is pretty cool. And not to keep gloating on the first season because we're talking about the second season, but one of the things that was so perfectly done that was also reflected in the movie is Fargo was so good at mixing like the the innocent and the the evil and like the the weird intertwinement of like good people who can't believe there's something so unspeakably awful going on and kind of their intersection. And, uh, you know, you think of whether it's Frances McDormand in the first movie, she's just like a nice lady and she has to deal with this horrible situation. Gosh, yeah. Or it's Colin Hanks, who's actually a terrible policeman. He's so bad. <laughs> he misses clues. He like, you know, he's terrified. He's afraid. But, you know, in the end, he, he faces his um, faces the evil down. And, uh, you know, Martin Freeman, who, you know, people made some crap about his nice attempt at a Minnesota accent. Um, but you know, he's sort of like the weird middle ground of like an innocent guy that's actually capable of some really awful stuff. Yeah. He shocks even himself. (laughs) Oh, uh, what did I just do? Oh, great. Now, uh, okay. I'll send my wife in to get the money. (laughs) She's dead. Um, so I'm looking forward to see if they, they riff on that in a, in a different way. Um, here in the new oh, season. completely new cast, right? Yeah, nobody that was in this one that you loved is going to be around. So they get another chance to reboot, with, like True Detective did. And, and again, um, a, a stacked cast: uh, Patrick Wilson as Lou Salverson, so he'll be the father character from Allison Tolman's character. Um, mm-hmm. Ted Danson, yeah, um, Kirsten Dunst. Um, uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but then some of the supporting cast, you know, Nick Offerman. I'd be excited to see him take a, a serious turn. Um, and as we were joking beforehand, uh, Bruce Campbell as Ronald Reagan, presumably yes. those be like little TV um, segments or something. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get his own plot. Um, yeah, I think they, again, another show they cast so well. Um, great surprise in the first season was Key and Peele. They were so funny, but so good too. Yeah. Um, I just can't wait to kind of see Adam both. Goldberg, Oliver Platt, Odin Kirk, just as a, a minor role. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Let's not forget Billy Bob Thornton was fantastic. Yeah. Um, Silver Fox. Um, <laughs> I'd kind of forgotten about him for a few years. So it was a nice like return to, Oh yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. It's so good for him. Um, so, I mean, I guess speaking of Bruce Campbell, then we can kind of hit up his other surprise this year. Um, he's bringing Evil Dead back with Sam Raimi. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I, I, I can be as, as excited as one can be for a yeah. fan of the series as a teenager and kind of coming back. Like, to me, I, I think it's pure silliness and fun um, and have a good time still visiting those movies every once in a while these days and, you know, um, I just, I'm kind of excited to see what they get to do on stars, which is the network that picked <laughs> them up and gave them the freedom to, uh, if the trailer is any indication, they, they still Man. get to go all out with the, the blood and the gore fun. of the. What a great trailer. <laughs> like, it, you know, as much enthusiasm and optimism as I could have for it came out of the trailer. Cause when I heard they were working on it, it was kind of like, yeah, we'll see. And, uh, yeah. you know, after the last movie reboot, which I completely skipped, it didn't look worthwhile to me at and all. And continue skipping. Um, man. But yeah, I think the, the, what got me instantly was like, you know, it's just like 15 seconds into the trailer. Bruce Campbell's 
literally in his own trailer, checking himself out in the mirror, like, ooh, yeah, ooh, baby. <laughs> just, just like, like yep. posing, like, that's the character, you got it. And then, uh, yeah, starts getting attacked by witches and demons and Yeah, and they, they, they summarize, you know, every single movie summarizes the Book of the Dead. So they, once again, he talks <laughs> through, yeah, I found a book, I spoke some crap, and a bunch of demons came out. <laughs> we got to deal with it. <laughs> we got to take care of them. Yeah, that's what we do here, Evil Dead. Um, the last TV series, which I, I actually didn't catch the pilot, but it, it got picked up to actually be turned into a series, was Man in the High Castle, um, which is based on a Philip K. Dick novel. That's the main source of my interest in it. And um, I haven't read the book, but by all accounts, it sounds like something really difficult to accomplish. So I'm, I'm a little worried about it. Um, but, you know, the, just to summarize, if you're not familiar, it's an alternate history where the Nazis and the Japanese win World War II and take over parts of the U.S. And uh, that's really all I know about it, except that there's like within the universe, there's an author that writes uh, an alternate history in that universe for the U.S. one. Yeah, and it, it kind of plays back on itself like that. Yeah. Um, and so you don't know, like, is there going to be some time travel thing in here like did somebody mess with history um and i think i did watch the pilot and you know i was i watched it intrigued enough i guess and i felt like as pilots go it was it was pretty good and then considering it's on amazon um (laughs) you know amazon had a great hit last year with transparent but other than that i think they've still kind of been miss more than hit with kind of the shows they've come up with so i'm just kind of Waiting to see what they they can pull off with this, um, and also just kind of seeing like I I'm a fan like I want streaming studios to succeed right and like the more the merrier yeah let's let's give more opportunities for more stories to get tell told um, Man in High Castle right like that went to Amazon because it wasn't going to get picked up on a network but we still get to hear the story of it and. Um, I, I, I felt the pilot was serviceable in that it kind of sets up the mystery of, of this alternate history. And, you know, aside from kind of some nitpicky, like really super exposition dialogue, I feel like they have to because they have to catch people up like the Nazis one kind of yeah. backstory. That's why I just like one of those things that works in a book that is difficult. Like You have to make creative decisions on how to bridge that gap cinematically. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll I'll tune in. I'll definitely see where they they go with it. And, you know, after the first one, I was like, all right, let's see what they do. And it got picked up, so like, I'll be there. Yeah, for a bit. I'll give it three chances. <laughs> all right, let's hop the fence over to movies. Great. Um, <laughs> I I I feel like there's very clear lines between what has been great this year and kind of the rest that has been duds for me. Um, I think for starters, I, I'll say that probably one of my favorite movies of the year is, you know, especially certainly the most animated wise was Inside Out. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Um, Pixar at its, you know, firing on all cylinders. One of their best, you know, I think yeah. um, top four or five ish. And I love it. Just me. it just came out of nowhere for me. I didn't see any like yeah. By the time I saw it, I had seen a couple ads, but like I didn't know anything about this movie. And I love that for for your favorite filmmakers to get to go in and just kind of experience it. Yeah, and and for Pixar to get to do what they do, and again, kind of you you notice kind of the trend with some of their their films is they like telling stories about these characters that you know it's not about 
a struggle against the bad guy who wants to take over the world or destroy something or whatever. Like they're just more interested in like a, a, the human element stories of, of, you know, in this case, a kid going through a move to a new city, right? Really simple yeah. setup, but then letting us go on that journey and, you know, always, always surprising, always original, um, hilarious every step of the way. Um, yeah. And, and I touching. would die for Riley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also just some jokes for adults like sprinkled in there. Like the, I think there was a Chinatown reference from one of the, the cops in cloud yeah, city. Or cloud city. Yeah. <laughs> cloud town. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, what I loved about this movie is like, you know, there, there's funny jokes. It's impressive animation. All that's always there in Pixar movies. But the one thing they had to nail was the, the big culmination moment when Riley finally, becomes vulnerable and expresses herself and kind of breaks down in front of her parents. Like that scene was so crucial to like making the movie really sing and they nailed it like so well. Yeah. I think, um, like I felt it with her. I was there. I had all the same feelings. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to pour out. (laughs) I didn't move, but I feel like I did (laughs) (laughs) all the feels. Um, yeah, and I think that's, again, when we talk about kind of like these shows or movies earning it, um, you can write a scene like that, but like leading up to it, you need those breadcrumbs of satisfaction and, and kind of that journey that Pixar is a master at, right? Like they're, they're able to take you to where Riley needs to go and where the feelings need to go in order to have this climactic moment, um, and, and they just win at it. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I think people have always been saying for years now, I was like, why don't the Pixar writers write every movie and why are we still <laughs> stuck with all this other crap? Well, I think uh, it, it just, like you're saying, it shows not only do they earn it like in terms of this, the story succeeding, they, they earn it in terms of they spend like four years baking these things. Yeah. And uh, you can tell like there's a, if you keep thinking through this movie, I feel like there's so many layers of richness. Like, you know, when you get to peek inside other people's emotions command centers like they look different different emotions are in control by default in the mom or the dad um or in the dog or the cat um, <laughs> that's right and like you know also the depiction of like oh it, it totally makes sense that a child kind of has one emotion that gets displayed at any given time i'm either like manic or i'm crying or i'm super angry but i'm kind of only one thing at a time and uh you know, they when the parents are like the the control panels involved in their centers are very complex. There's tons of buttons, and you know they make it part of the plot that her memories get more complex. It's not just a happy memory; it's an everything memory, mm-hmm. and it's able to be a sad memory now, right? Yeah, um, they can change based on that. And yeah, such attention to detail. Um, yeah, I did read that kind of like paying attention to like the control panels for the kid's brain was very. Simple, and there was a few levers, but you look at the adults, and it's this huge, wide desk with all these panels, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense, because they've had 40 years to develop and decide how their emotions should should kind of yeah. run the show. Another perfectly cast movie, I mean, Lewis Black is anger, like, who else would you pick for that? Yeah. <laughs> Can you think of anyone? I mean, there's... That would a- be my first thought, it'd be the dream cast, is like, yeah, get Lewis Black. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so we can move on. Uh, you want to talk about what we do in the shadows? I love to. I I talk about this with everybody every chance I get, and I'm 
the biggest fan for it. I, I will still continually call it the, the funniest movie I've seen in 10 years. And maybe more than that. Like, I haven't actually done a tally to look what I've been really funny about lately. But <laughs> I haven't laughed that much in a long time. Um, I, it has the advantage of kind of being, you know, it's, it's up my alley. It's a mockumentary, so it's got some great kind of Christopher Guest kind of roots to it. Um, it's, it's kind of part of the team of Flight of the Concords. Um, it's, it's from New Zealand. It, it has that sense of humor that I, I jive with much more than I do American comedies. Um, and so what we do in the shadows, you know, for those who don't know, it's, it's a mockumentary about three vampires who live together in modern day New Zealand. Um, and so as, as simple as that kind of silly premise is, they are able to, to kind of nail it at, at every point and find such comedy in what is a vampire like in, like in modern day um they have like you know a a kind of nerdy guy starts being friends with them and teaches them about the internet and ebay and facebook (laughs) and like you just kind of get to see them play out you know for the last but you know super funny consistently throughout you know and i'll watch it over and over with anybody wants to see it i think i've already seen it four times yeah Uh, got the blu-ray watching all the extras just loving it to death yeah, instant purchase when it was available digitally, and we're, we're about to share it with some friends this weekend, so excited about that. Um, uh, yeah, where to start with this one? I, I do enjoy that the, the humor is taken, like they, they, they take attributes, like very famous attributes of vampires and kind of extend them into very clever jokes. Um, it's almost I almost don't want to spoil it because this seems like one of the most likely movies that someone listening would not have seen, but... Man, they, you know, whether it's a familiar that wants eternal life and the way they string them along and won't turn them into <laughs> vampires and, <laughs> or just some of the other, you know, I mean, classic vampire things, whether it's sunlight or, or, um, how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big part. Invisibility and mirrors. Needing to be invited into places. <laughs> yeah. So they take all the tropes and they they play with them in a very satisfying, clever ways that'll take you by surprise. Um, and let's say nothing of the werewolves. Let's not spoil that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Go see Just, this movie. <laughs> yeah, get it how you can. Um, worth checking out. Definitely, most I've left in the theater a couple of times and then at home since then. Um, quoting it all the time to to Juliet. She's been. <laughs> we we love doing the voice of Viago, and, and he's just kind of a, a mid-century, you know, <laughs> dainty guy who got turned into a vampire, and he wants to keep his apartment clean and have nice clothes, but, but he still hard. wants to eat, and <laughs> drink the blood. Eat, eat people, I put a towel down. Can't you just put towels down <laughs> before um, you kill someone? Um, yeah. So yeah, best comedy. Let's sway it over to for me the best drama of the year, hands down. So far has been Love and Mercy, the biopic about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. So I haven't seen this. So what makes this one special? Um, two, three, I would say fantastic, brilliant performances by um, Paul Dano, John Cusack, and Elizabeth Banks. Um, just like. I, I could be called biased because I love the Beach Boys and my dad's writing a book about Brian Wilson, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think it stands as a great biopic and dramatic story apart from just loving the Beach Boys, right? Um, it, it, it bounces back and forth between two times um, 
Paul Dano plays the young Brian Wilson as they're writing pet sounds. And John Cusack plays kind of an older Brian Wilson after he's kind of gone through his depression and his years of, of drug abuse and, you know, his solo time at home and bed all the time. Um, and, and kind of his subsequent rescue from his today is his wife, um, who Elizabeth Banks plays. Um, but just to give us this, this peek into, um, Brian Wilson's creative process, I think pseudo show fans would, would get a real kick out of seeing, um, Brian Wilson in the studio kind of working with a musician of an orchestra and kind of, you know, those late nights and saying like, no, no, let's get that part right again, you know, for good vibrations and, and, and whatever favorite songs you have. Um, just completely top to bottom. The performances are just fantastic. The editing is great. The, the story they tell is, is really touching um, and sweet uh, and, and just succeeds top to bottom. I, I can't recommend it more. That's good to hear. I mean, usually biopics are they're kind of sweepingly grand gestures at trying to sum up a life, and that's usually the source of kind of their unbelievability. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, this one I manages think... to avoid some of those pitfalls. Definitely. I think by the advantage of focusing on two very specific times in his life, right? Like here he is writing this, this pet sounds while the Beach Boys are on tour, right? And he stays home because he wants to write the next album and he doesn't <laughs> like touring. So he, he writes this, you know, for the Beach Boys, it's kind of this like, what are you like such a jump in, you know, at the time for the genre of what do the Beach Boys sing about, right? They sing about like surfing and girls, right? Yeah. Cars. And he's like, no, I want to write this album that like has so much more depth to it and, and is telling a story and so much more orchestrated, um, you know, and his, his wrestling with his, his brothers and, and especially Mike Love over kind of like, <sighs> you're changing our sound, man. It's not cool. Yeah. Um, so it kind of focuses on that for half the film and then. Sorry, there's a helicopter here. Um, Do you have to go? Is this your ride? (laughs) (laughs) My ride's here. Um, And so bouncing between that that time in his life versus kind of earlier and and throughout, I can't remember the quite time frames, the 90s, I think, when he meets his his today wife and how she kind of rescues him from his drug-addled dominance from his psychiatrist handler of sorts. Yeah. Um, but they do a great kind of back and forth echo of like themes and, and, and kind of his character development through that. Um, yeah. So they don't do this. Like here he is as a kid learning music and practicing with his dad. It's just yeah. focusing on those two stories and intertwining them very satisfyingly. Yeah. It's not just a museum tour of different stages of a whole life. It's an actual story. Not at all. Yeah. It's just a standalone story. Um, which I also am really interested about in hearing kind of as stuff keeps coming out about the uh, Steve Jobs movie coming out with... Um, yeah, it's Danny Boyle directing and... Uh, yeah, and Michael my Fassbender. Fa- my favorite male Fassbender acting. And, um, <laughs> but yeah. they chose the same kind of approach. It's a Sorkin script, right? Yeah. Um, so it'll be very magnanimous speech filled, I'm sure. But it might be might <laughs> yeah. be great. He did Social Network's script too, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, like you say, it could be great, and I think it has the benefit of not. It's not a Steve Jobs biopic. It's it's here's Steve Jobs the man at his a few different times in his life, and they kind of yeah. visit him and kind of paint paint a picture. Of that yeah. Way. Um, There's also a, a Jobs documentary which we just talked about on flipping tables. It's by the guy that did the Going Clear Scientology doc. Yes, the trailer just came out this week. Yeah. So that is also one to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Let's let's talk Jurassic World. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I want to hear you go off a bit. I haven't heard all of okay. them. You weren't impressed. My main, my, yeah. It, I mean, it was a, a summer adventure romp, and like it's kind of like at a base level competent at that, like being a spectacle, having jokes, and having big dinosaurs that fight each other. But um, I think what particularly annoyed me about it um, was. So they've, they've got these kid characters. They're kind of how the movie starts. It's like your way into Jurassic World is through the eyes of these kids. And they kind of toss out a couple like Spielberg cliches like, oh, broken family. Oh, like brothers that are kind of don't really know who they are yet and don't get along. And like you're waiting for like the, the you know, like you want like, oh, the real dramatic journey is going to be either the, whether their family gets back together or not. They'll discover some love and they'll discover some brotherhood and camaraderie. And all of that is phoned in in the most fake way, like barely nodded at way possible. And that really disappointed me. And completely forgotten about. Yeah. Once, once the ride starts, it's like, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the, critics i follow online at least as far as that goes is film crit hulk um and he wrote a piece on basically kind of summing up my thoughts exactly too was um it 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 treats an audience with a bit of contempt with like you wanted dinosaurs here it is we're gonna serve you know not even fan service because i think there's contempt behind it like it just feels (laughs) like you asked for it here's the studios and we brought you this thing and um even like using the film itself as the metaphor for studios making movies that you'll devour no matter what, and it doesn't matter if it's good or not, <laughs> as opposed to a, a corporation who's going to make a new dinosaur because it's demanded of the people. And, you know, fine, here's your new dinosaur. It's going to kill you all, but who cares? Yeah, here's Sharknado 5. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so a lot of that kind of echoes into it that just kind of, it's a barrage of this, you know, it's like, it does start off with wanting to like, hey, see, we're super sentimental and Spielbergian, um, and you know, right? Because this is this is your favorite series that you grew up as a kid loving. But then it's just like, no, it's not. It's kind of sexist and rude, <laughs> and um, you know, it's a, it's a spectacle, right? Sure, it's a spectacle. There's some great CG stuff in there, um, but ultimately, just super hollow. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's to say it. like there's no heart to it. Where the first one, I felt there's a lot of heart to it, a lot of like just sweet kids and you know, um, what's his name, the doctor, dad, guys, yeah. you know, has moments and like he's not has, their dad though. No, yeah, he <laughs> learns that like oh kids are okay in the end. Um, but yeah, there's none of that in this. It, it scraps it all. Like again, it's 30 minutes of this setup that is just like. Eh, anyways, here's dinosaurs for the rest of the time and none of that. There's here's the first movie's dinosaur for some reason, <laughs> still here and still strong. <laughs> yeah. And here's this big set piece of the water monster that, you know, we made a big deal about how this new dinosaur really want only trusts food given from a crane. And we showed a big crane over the water monster, but we're not going to use that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> way of dealing with the end like I, I totally like i called that the water like i'm spoiling but there's nothing to spoil because who cares <laughs> um i totally called they were gonna kill the whatever rogue dinosaur with the water dinosaur because they showed it in the trailer a billion times so many times yeah but i was like thematically like the the breadcrumbs they laid were to me so obvious that like oh they made a big, big deal about the crane that served food and they kept showing us this crane serving the water. Like, why wouldn't that be? 
like, oh, we got to like hang some other giant dinosaur. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen. I wouldn't have solved the actual problems with the movie, but <laughs> it's just what I predicted. And I was close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that kind of stuff that y- if you notice, because you're thinking too much, um, kind of reeks of that studio written script where, hey, we've got these great set pieces that we're already animating, so you have to use them. Yeah. Write us a story that connects these set pieces. And it's like, okay, and then, oh, okay, and then let's tweak it here, here, here. And then in the end, you've got the script that it ended up being in the shot, the movie that it ended up being was set piece to set piece after that first 30 yeah. minutes. Um, yeah, just, I, I, I take pleasure in that I didn't have to pay for this one. I got a free screening. Um <laughs> through Juliet's membership at the guild. So I was like, good, I didn't have to pay for this one. I'm not like, I don't need my $30 back. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, we can, we can go on, but that, I think generally that'll be how I sum up my experiences there. Yeah. Um, well, I, th- I thought we could talk Mad Max a bit. Um, did yep. you like this one? Loved it to death. Best action movie in a long time, um, easily of the year. Um, I don't think there's anything that'll take that down either. Yeah. Um, just fantastic, you know, um, experiential, uh, a great journey for, you know, the, the Gamergate people will call it feminist and got annoyed at it, but I loved it to death. Um, and, and surprising every step of the way. And I even forgave. Tom Hardy's grunting because I just I had seen Mad Max's I know that Mel Gibson set up a character who just kind of grunts and doesn't talk much anyways so it made sense (laughs) Um, yeah Um, you know I give this one kind of a B like I don't have any serious complaints and like obviously just as a visual accomplishment it's it's astonishing um, what they were able to do like and apparently a lot of it was very practical i don't know how practical or how much compositing is happening but that's what i say yeah um just the 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 crazy sandstorm tornado craziness like didn't didn't take me out of it it was very immersive it was very thrilling it wasn't like well they're in front of a green screen yeah very much and i i that's something I'm hoping, as we always keep hearing now, Star Wars is very practical as well, you know, and you kind of, you get this feeling like, hey, I think it's a great follow-up to Jurassic World was, you know, using practical effects in real locations with the actors actually there really is, feels like such a different experience, whereas, you know, for me, Jurassic World also was, to go back to it, but... um a CGI world with like humans composited in there. Yeah. Whereas Mad Max had this great balance of here's this human world with some CG here and there just to, you know, composite out whatever part of the desert they didn't need. Um, otherwise, yeah, so great technically. Um, storytelling wise and, and kind of putting us on that. It's a chase movie, right? It's just, you know, we yeah. get the little setup and then the rest of the movie is 90 minutes of a chase and it's, it's thrilling. Well, it's an interesting chase, and for some reason popping in my head is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the the Radiohead music video for Karma Police. No. Um, This is only vaguely related, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, (laughs) uh, The the whole video is like, it starts off with like, it's like first person, you're in a car, like chasing a guy, 
yeah. and then halfway through or towards the end of the video the the car stops and the guy stops and he like lights a match on the ground and the car starts reversing and the, the like the fire or there's like a you know like a gasoline trail or something and the mm. car gets chased back and and that's kind of the plot of the movie is they they run away you know with this giant fuel tanker and there's some promised land that they think exists um far off and uh, in, in the end, they decide, no, actually, we the actual promised land is occupied by a horrible man. And <laughs> we, we just need to go back and take it over. Yeah. <laughs> That's our only shot. And yep. so it's that nice rubber band. But yeah, you're right. It, it is a chase that gets turned around halfway through. And um, visual tour de force in the, in the best sense and not in the distracting, horrible sense. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, I think I'm okay that Mad Max didn't talk a lot because I, I don't think we needed him to. I think I think we understood his motivations throughout, like yep. you know, survival and then his battle with having empathy and when trying to avoid it and because it's painful because you just lose things in this awful world, but he finally chances to rescue. Yeah, he relents. And, uh, and another thing, too, you kind of learn this as practicing as a screenwriter over and over is like, if you can get away with telling your story without having to have somebody say what's going on or say what they're doing or thinking, more the better, right? Like, let us experience it and see it for ourselves. And the fact that he barely talks the movie, like, we still got his story. We understood what he was going through and his decision. And he's like, hey, you know what? Let's go back. You're not going to get across this salt sea. You know, it's what a waste. Let's go back and take that. That's where the green is. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you make sense of his journey and, and his own uh, relationship with the Charlize Theron character. Like she, she is a, a force in, of herself. She deserves to lead the people, right? Yeah. Um, and, and he recognizes that. He's like, yeah, you should be the one who's running things, and I'll help you where I can. And otherwise, I'm out of here in the end. <laughs> yeah. so, um, which is Mad like Max like to in a the team. deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll get you home and I'm out of here. Like in the deal. Yeah. Um, exactly. Army of Darkness. So, yeah, uh, one of my most fun experiences in the theaters this year, definitely. Um, and I guess, you know, just to kind of wrap up the year's best movies for me, um, I've seen Ex Machina just the once and I'm wanting to get it now that it's out on video. I got to watch some extras because it kind of blew my mind a bit. Uh, so this is another one I missed. So... Maybe if you could just sum up what's special about this. Yeah, you got to go see it. Um, what's special about it is that it's just, it's the Turing test, right? It's, it's a test for uh, artificial intelligence is, you know, is, does it know that it's artificial intelligence? Can we trick it into thinking it's human? Um, it's, it's basically that for a film um, and, and kind of what is the final test for a machine and, and seeing if we succeeded in, in, in creating something that thinks it's alive and that it's that it's a person, um, you know, through very very simple setup, it's it's just three characters in one location. That's the whole entire film, and you kind of go on a journey through the guy who's running the test and kind of the corporate president boss who wants to run the test and find out if he wins or not. Um, and then the robot, you you get to know the robot. And, and in this case, they make it a woman who isn't even completely fleshed out. You know, she's half woman, half robot. You can see through her stomach, for instance. Um, and, and, you know, just from the very beginning, it, it kind of 
identifies you with one character and then lets you go on that journey. And then with what it does with it, you know, I, I can't spoil it and I never will. And I just think it's, it's perfectly executed and, and done so strongly. I, I can't recommend a better film all year, too. Great. Um, I'll have to definitely fast track that one. Yep. Um, maybe we could do a couple nods to the stuff we're excited about. And I really can't help but say that the top of my list is Star Wars. And I'm worried about how excited I am because I don't want to like be crushed if it's not great. But I'm just excited about this movie. Yeah, I, I'm very hesitant to turn myself over as well. Like, I don't want to be a kid who's just super excited and will be let down, right? And, and the reason for that is, for me, is because of J.J. Abrams. Like, that's horrible to say. I think he's a great filmmaker and he's done some great stuff and I've had fun at his movies. But there's just kind of this, like, hesitation with full commitment to, <laughs> to super excited. Because yeah. I feel like he has been flashes of brilliance and A-level stuff, but generally I felt like he's kind of a B-level filmmaker yeah. and that's that's kind of mean because i think he is he's better than a lot of the stuff we could get yeah um, so i have a, like the littlest reservation that keeps me from going all out but i think what i mean you have kazdan on the script you have the original cast returning which you know could be a bad thing like it could be like <laughs> oh no you kind of you know I, leonard nimoy was okay in star trek but it wasn't like it wasn't the best thing ever and it wasn't okay and then second star trek um, <laughs> yeah. let him go it's all right yeah well, unfortunately he did die but um <laughs> yeah i mean people had problems with star trek mainly because it was more star wars like and maybe that's why I, <laughs> I was more excited about i think the onion headline was like star trek fans decry watchable enjoyable film <laughs> yeah but um how dare he yeah i i guess the the reason i'm excited is because everything they've shown has been nothing but encouraging and not just the fan service but the the practical effects like we were talking about earlier and uh just the 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 people involved seem like a lot of a level people it's not just jj abrams who may be a or b level depending on what he's doing um but the the other people involved seem excellent yeah and i think um there's this really strong sense of the reverence and respect for the series that people want to take it back to. You know, I have no doubt in my mind that J.J. Abrams was like, oh, those first three remakes of George Lucas that we all feel the same way about. Yeah, um, I think he's the same way too. He's a fan as much as we are, and I. That's why I have, I'm I'm okay going. You know, probably eighty five percent without reservation. Super excited. Um, so we'll see. I guess that's that's all we can say. And, and I'm sure, I feel like with my little reservation, I, I can be super pleasantly surprised and I'll be even more thrilled when he does a good job. So um, I did want to say a little bit about Spectre and mainly as a, a, a launching pad to talk about Bond films because I've never been that into Bond films. I mean, as a, <laughs> as a gamer, I got hooked on GoldenEye, and so that made me interested in the GoldenEye film, even though that film is pretty mediocre. It doesn't really have any importance today <laughs> whatsoever. Um, and, I mean, Spectre just seems like, you know, do we have a chance at, you know, could this be the best that 
Daniel Craig does or will Casino Royale kind of live on as the probably the best Bond film ever made in my opinion which doesn't isn't saying that much personally because I don't love Bond that much um but you know it's it's one I'll check out but I don't I don't know did you do you have any feelings about Spectres that kind of like eh we'll see I am I I feel like with the Bond films I'm I'm kind of like you in the same way like I'm not personally invested in the series so I don't get super excited like oh there's another one I can't wait um, but I will say about Spectre, for some, there's something different about it. I feel like in the marketing and kind of the buzz that's building about it, that it feels more special to me, I guess, than the last one. Certainly the last one I was super disappointed in. Didn't yeah. Have much fun. Agreed. Um, Home Alone for adults. <laughs> uh, but something about the, you know, kind of what they did with at the end of, the other one and what they killed M right and like yeah. kind of setting like a new chapter for Bond and getting to see what he ends up doing um, what's his name gosh his name's killing me Christopher oh, Christoph Waltz Christoph Waltz I trust him implicitly I'll, I'll see pretty much anything he does and the fact that he's in this is very promising for me I'm um, excited to see what he does as opposed to kind of Javier Bardem was the last one I wasn't really yeah. into. Um, I don't know. It's just, this one feels more special to me and they kind of feel like they're having more fun with the marketing and kind of it's like very black and dark and feels like, hey, Bond has nothing anymore. MI6 doesn't exist and guess what he's going to do? You know, and, <laughs> and I don't know and I'm excited to find out. And that's the exact thing I would level against the Mission Impossible series is how many times can <laughs> the IMF be in disarray and destroyed and disavowed? <laughs> Every single one of them. <laughs> and apparently they're even more disavowed in the new one. <laughs> <laughs> all of the all of the agents are uh, you, yeah that was the first first movie was about all of the agents getting disciplined <laughs> oh well yeah uh, so yeah Spectre I, that is one I'm looking forward to yeah we have um, Sam Mendes returning so maybe he'll he'll have a better crack at a Bond movie um, yeah I, I th- I'll give him another shot I mean I think our skepticism comes from not only not connect I mean personally I didn't connect with the old Bonds I don't connect with them whatsoever they're kind of boring I remember trying to watch Moonraker once and I fell asleep and <laughs> um, they're just kind of like all I can see is how Austin Powers lampooned them I don't see like much <laughs> Um, but and and then also the Pierce Brosnan era kind of ruined Bond in a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are so painful. Oh yeah, I saw. I think it was like Tomorrow Never Dies or something. And you're like, other. you have Jonathan Price, but this movie uh, is not good. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> yep. As I remember going to those all the time, I feel like I end up at a Bond film. I don't choose to go to a Bond film. It's just like <laughs> people decided they wanted to go, and I'll go to. Um, but I won't say that for any of the Daniel Craig ones. I have actively gone to see them, hoping yeah. for for the the good ones. And we know yes. Quantum of Solace will no will never be on top of anyone's <laughs> list. But I do like if Casino Royale is on TV, it actually hooks me for whatever ten minutes before a commercial happens. Like somehow a card game is every bit as good as anything they've ever done. But yeah, really great job um, with that. Um. Just a couple other movies looking forward to, um, and maybe you have some wild cards that we didn't put in the stock here, but the Peanuts movie? I, I don't know how to feel about this, but I saw the trailer recently. Yeah. And what did you think? Um, I think 
I think I'll see it, but I I just didn't know. Like I was like, <laughs> like how how true is this to Charles Schultz? Like, um, I think the the animation style. I, I don't know. I feel really ambivalent. I wasn't down on it, but I wasn't excited either. Okay. Um. Yeah. I I was curious about the animation style as well. It's not like it feels more cut out and kind of more like 2D style. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what they end up doing with it. Um, there was one trailer that was really like bad, I thought, because it had a like big pop song and it was like, what are you doing, guys? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of want, I'll see it because I want to see what they end up doing with yeah. this, this character and kind of the modern version in, in hopes of saying, please don't Smurfs it. Please don't Smurfs oh, it. Oh my God. Please yeah. Don't Smurfs it. I think what has me intrigued is mostly the Peanuts itself outside of the film is, has, such an interesting melancholy streak and a sweetness to it that comes out occasionally too that I, I'm wondering if they were able to bottle any of that into the film. Yeah, I and as a Wes Anderson you know, fan follower, I can't help but think of Peanuts with Wes Anderson kind of hand in hand because you get the sense of his characters always being almost in a Peanuts world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll see it, definitely. Um, and and anima- animation-wise as well, I think... One of the kind of interesting things about this year is that we get a second Pixar movie as well for the holidays. Yeah. Um, the Good Dinosaur is coming out. And this was one that got delayed for like a year or two. And that's kind of why we ended up with two Pixars this year. Um, <laughs> Such riches. Yeah. Well, not that that's a problem to me. Like, I <laughs> give us more, please. Um, I'm purposely, I've, I've kind of adapted this thing in the last few months here is I won't watch trailers or anything about a movie I actually will want to see. Um, yeah. And The Good Dinosaur is that for me. So I haven't seen anything about it because I know I'll see it and I'm like, I want to be pleasantly surprised with everything about it. So yeah. I haven't seen a trailer. Um, yeah, I think the main thing is that Pixar absolutely has earned blind trust from me. Like I, They made a movie, I will see it and I will probably like it quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm the same way. So I... I I'm, as much as I can without knowing anything about it, other than there's probably a dinosaur in it um, <laughs> who's good. <laughs> well, have you ever heard the the people have summarized their story strategy down to the Pixar pitch? Yep, for yeah. sure. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure it will follow that, but it'll still delight and surprise anyway. Yeah, give us that treatment. Um, otherwise, you know, it's... I think um, The Is Martian it, I want to go see. All That's right. a, a Ridley Scott film with Matt Damon. And, you know, again, I'm not watching any trailer for it. I don't want to know anything about it other than it's called The Martian. That spoils enough, so I'm good. Um, what else? There's, um, oh, Spielberg's next movie. I can't. Oh, man, the, the Cold War spy uh, insurance salesman gets sent. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that you know that. <laughs> Sorry, much. I'm spoiling. No. <laughs> no, I mean Spielberg. It's Tom Hanks, and yeah, yeah. I'm and it's about spies. <laughs> I'm so in um, that one. I'm super excited about. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. I'm I'm super thrilled. Yeah, it's with. like we're getting the Hunger Games. Conclu- is this the conclusion? Eh, yeah, it is. So I read I read the books and. They'll conclude it. I'm sure it'll be much better than the last one. So. <laughs> the last one was Bunker, the movie. But yeah, treading water because we have a big movie coming next and year. And we'll have to CGI or brother or give the lines to other people for Philip Seymour. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think that kind of sums up the the year ahead in movies for now, as far as yeah being super excited about. So, well, I guess uh, lastly, I, I know we're at like an hour mark now, but um, we we could rock through some game stuff if if you're up for it. Yeah, yeah, I'll say what I've been into. Well, I want I want to hear your thoughts on Batman Arkham Knight. Um, yeah, I uh, I I got it uh, kind of opening day it's kind of the first game I, I ever went like i'm getting that first morning and i'm went at, i went to target and got it and played it for so a few hours before you go off on it had, <laughs> had, had you played the other arkham games before it? I, I had played um arkham asylum asylum the okay. first one for PS3. Yeah, I, I played that for i didn't finish it but i i played it enough to know what i was getting into um yeah i i, I think you've talked about it a bit on flipping tables i it's fantastic from top to bottom. I'm so glad that they they took the time with this one to create it. It feels like a next gen game. It deserves to be on these systems and, and kind of run at the you know quality that it runs at. Um, it, it, it's super fun. Um, I don't mind that half of the game is in the tank because I really enjoyed that too. And yeah, I just thought I loved just flying around the city, dropping down and beating up guys, even if it didn't matter, <laughs> even if it wasn't accomplishing the plots. I was like, it's fun just to beat up guys or call the tank and go shoot some stuff up. Um, did you so did you hundred percent this game? I did. Uh, in the end, yes. Um, I first beat Someone it. Someone just died over there. <laughs> Sorry, we're just moving stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I beat it, and then I took a break, and then I kind of came back. I felt like it was calling my name, and I ended up, all right, fine, I'll 100% you. <laughs> Even all I, the Riddler trophies, man. I did all the Riddler trophies <laughs> and 100%ed it so I, so I could hear it. I can make it stop calling out to me. So um, <laughs> Put I'm, it to I'm, bed. Yeah, I'm not going to do the extras. I'm not going to subscribe to their whatever service yeah um, did you so did you go on to play i think you played arkham city afterwards what was it like going to pretty that? much immediately i did arkham city in about two weeks after that. <laughs> um, was that and, like stepping down into a baby version or i absolutely i could agree with that statement um <laughs> it just felt like not quite fully realized batman <laughs> compared funny to what because we got before arkham city was the step up from asylum it's like oh they gave us some freedom and there's like you know there's no tank but there's you know oh i can fly around <laughs> yeah i and the, so it was kind of strange stepping back like that but i think it also just made me appreciate arkham city that much more to see like they really hit a home run yeah. um Best game I've played in a long time. So much fun. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to, I think, the the developer Rocksteady. Um, I, I really want to know what they do next. Man, if they could do a Metroid game, I would play. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm that's kind of what the Batman games are like. I mean, they're kind of open-world Metroid in a way. Yep, for sure. Um, and, and it kind of satisfies that, as we call in Final Fantasy fourteen the green check mark yeah. <laughs> obsession of I must do just one more of these things and then I'll go to bed. Yeah. And then suddenly it's two AM. Well and I mean I, I went off a lot on flipping tables, so I I don't want to completely duplicate it here, but my favorite thing is like they really make you feel like Batman. Like so many situations it's it's not just beat your way out of every single situation. It's oh, you can call the Batmobile or oh you can use this special gadget and to do this clever thing 
and uh, they they don't always tell you. It's like you get to figure it out, and I, that's one of the best things about the game. Yeah, I think what summed it up best. I think you know David said it's not about being a good video game player. It's about being a good Batman. You know, it's like what's what's the way that we can make anyone who's playing this feel like Batman, and that's was a priority, and. It totally, it's, it's so great. You know, I don't think you even need to be great. I, I'll admit, I played it on easy mode. So what? <laughs> I don't care. I had so much fun and I felt like Batman for like a month. So, uh, that should be the title of the episode. I felt like Batman for a month. Um, <laughs> well, maybe it was kind of cruel to lead off with one of the best games of the year, probably, um, <laughs> to talk about some other games. Um, I, how do how do you feel about Metal Gear Solid Five um, or Phantom Pain or no? It, it wasn't Phantom Pain. That's what the the actual game is going to be. Um, yeah, it was the uh, teaser of Ground Zero. Yeah. Um, um, usually, Metal Gear is kind of a landmark moment. I mean, Metal Gear Solid Four was the reason I got a PS3. It was also the reason we got a PS2 when the second one came out. Um, and I, I actually feel like this the series is kind of long in the tooth. Um, we'll <laughs> I see. I think that's a good way to put it. I, I'll say that I did get Ground Zeroes, and I did. Oh, I don't think they do. Yeah, hundred percent of it. Like I did top to bottom hard mode a version of every little um, mission they had for you, and I had fun with it. I I, I thought it was a kind of a worthy um, upgrade to. It feels more open world, and I don't know. I'm super excited for for the full release. Yeah, in, even in with September. Keeper Sutherland, yeah, I yeah, I'll give it. You know, that's <laughs> definitely a frustration about it. But gameplay wise, like I did sit for hours and play a mission and just like yeah. love the hell out of it. And I think I can't wait for kind of seeing. I've watched so many videos of the of game people playing the new one and I'm like All see right. that's a, that's what I'm going for All and right. I'm okay with it. Well, maybe I'll have to latch onto your hype a bit cuz I I did not get that sucked into the ground zeros, but okay. I, I think I got more frustrated with like I even though it was open worldy, I felt like it it was really maybe I'm just not like it was so difficult. Maybe I needed easy mode like <laughs> you did for Batman. Okay, so I did that too for Metal Gear. Oh, okay. Also, don't care. Um, <laughs> no, I've kind of like I've I've been playing through Uncharted again, and I I throw it on easy mode. I don't care. Like I, I'm I'm just along for the Indiana Jones light ride. Like I don't care. Um, <laughs> yep, that's how I did. Um, well, something in this. No, it was last year. Never mind. But yeah, I played um, <laughs> Last of Us on easy mode first. But I got so much better that I did end up playing it on harder modes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'll say I'm super excited for Metal Gear Solid Five, and I'm almost tempted to even pre-order it so that it comes that day from Amazon. <laughs> but we'll see. I'll just probably go to Target and get it Yeah. Um, like usual. Such a shame that the drama between Konami and Hideo Kojima. But yeah... I don't know, but I guess I'll kind of cross fingers and be like, well, Hideo's going to go do something else and that'll be really great, so we'll see yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, a couple more. We can, we can rock it through these. Um, Majora's Mask 3DS, did you play through this? I did. I 100% did that <laughs> okay. as well. Okay, you have to understand something, listener, that I spent six months in Boston this year. <laughs> a large part of that was kind of alone, you know? I I taught a few hours a day and then I went home and... 
had to kill the other 12 hours of my day. So I got to get through a lot of games this year. So was um, this uh, your your the reason you got a 3DS? It is. Um, I had been holding off because I heard they had the new 3DS coming. So I was like, all right, I'll just wait for that. Um, so that came out in like March, I think. And from then on, I've, I've been a big 3DS fan as well. Um, but yeah, I and I didn't realize, I feel like I'd never played through Majora's fully. I um, remember in, watching you. Th- there was some temple that had a lot of sunlight and reflecting stuff going on. And I think I watched you play that for hours and not beat it. And then like anger. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I finished it. I definitely finished this one because I didn't remember the boss. And that's why I was like, I don't think I've done this before. <laughs> um, but yeah, the sunlight temple, I forget what it's called, but. Um, I finally got passed through that 12 years later, <laughs> and so very satisfying. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, Zelda wise, like you know, I think they've delayed the Wii U one, so we'll talk about that next year. Yeah, sadly. Um, there's also a Final Fantasy X remaster that I picked up for Vita recently, and you did all right. And I'm going through it, and I actually haven't played it in a week. And maybe that's that's the story here is that. Mm. That game is kind of it's it's an awkward, uncanny valley. To it's the first voice acted Final Fantasy. Yeah, and it's kind of, I feel like and I remember it being kind of there's bad. Blitzball and like there's this whole <laughs> the the plot's kind of this this weird like most people in the world are living in like a, a dream that's been projected onto reality because this society didn't want to give up their kingdom. And it's like this weird like everything's going to disappear when the dream ends, and it's. It's it's a weird game, but I, I picked it up because I was like, ah, I never beat this game, and Oran was kind of cool in it. And <laughs> he was kind of a Sid. <laughs> yeah. I was the same way my first time through. I never finished it, and then I revisited it, like in, gosh, maybe like 2007 or eight, And I did finish it because I just needed to say that I finished every single one. Um, but it's pretty much one of my least satisfying Final Fantasies. Yeah, I don't know. Too bad. You know, I I, I really enjoyed twelve. Uh, I didn't get to thirteen. I'm waiting for them to remaster that so I can. Yeah, I don't know. Shot, I don't know. Thirteen is yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I had it and I got twelve hours into it, but that was all I could give. It's so many corridors. It's just run down this yep. corridor, fight a battle, story. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> um, but just. Real quickly, I, I have been giving Final Fantasy fourteen another chance with this last um, <laughs> expansion. So I've I gave it another month. Heaven's word again. Heaven's word. Um, and I'm you know I'm having as fun, as much fun as you can as a solo player in the online fantasy world. Um, I, I it's okay. I'm okay with it too. It's it's, yeah. it's fun to kind of do maybe an hour a day or so and do another dungeon. <laughs> Um, Every once in a while, I, I stumble on the, the screenshots from when we were playing fourteen, uh, <laughs> a realm reborn last year, and uh, yeah, staying up till midnight. I'm the same guy, but I shaved my head. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, any games you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, I mean, aside from Metal Gear, I'll, I'm definitely. I feel like this past year, I've been much more of a gamer. Um, but yeah, I can't wait for Uncharted. As I said, I love Last of Us to death, so I can't wait to see kind of what those guys do um, with the next round. Um, I don't know. What else have you seen kind of that you're excited about? So I think probably the biggest 
game of the year that I'm looking forward to is Fallout 4. Yeah. And it, I mean, this is the caveat is I've, I've often bailed on Bethesda games. So Fallout 3 or Skyrim or any of the Elder Scrolls games, uh, I tend to do five or 10 hours and then I kind of go, meh, I'm done. And you so know, you had you finished any of the Fallouts? I got really far in Fallout 3 and then I bailed on it. So maybe okay. I got 20, 25 hours on that one. Um, even so, Fallout 4 is just super exciting. And, and I don't know if it'll have any, if Boston holds any place in your heart, but this one kind of takes <laughs> place around Boston. And apparently there's some kind of like preserved slash destroyed, uh, you know, what's the name of their field? Fenway Park. <laughs> yeah, Fenway Park. And, uh, you know, it looks like they, they are finally doing a next gen leap. Skyrim was kind of an in between, like, well, it's kind of like a souped up PS3 game, but it's not really next gen. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just looks astonishing. And, like, you know, every once in a while, you just want one of those games that you just kind of lose yourself into. Yeah, I'm all in. I'll definitely get it. And I, I haven't played any Fallouts. I'll just say that. Um, again, I just got PS4 last year. So I'm just kind of like dipping my toes back into modern gaming. Yeah. And um, so I've been really enjoying kind of all the next gen stuff. Yeah. Um, but that looks really great to me. The only other game I'd call out is, uh, did, you, did you ever play the Tomb Raider reboot from a year or two ago? I didn't. Okay, well, you should um, on PS4 if you need another game to suck into because it's kind of Last of Us-y. Okay, so I, I would point you towards it because you know it has an upgrade system so you feel like you're becoming more and more of a badass. It's got a sense of humor. It's an adventure romp. It's kind of like Uncharted Last of Us kind of mix. Mm-hmm. Um well, unfortunately, the sequel, um, so I love that first game, the first of the reboot, so much. Uh, the sequel is, for one year, it's exclusive to Xbox One, so that's really annoying. Oh, okay. So it's Xbox One and PC, so maybe I'll buy it and play it on my iMac and, and see how it runs there. But um, Or you know, you could do what Lions does and wait a year or two and always buy the Game of the Year edition for you know, 30 <laughs> or $40. Bucks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just kind of you know get all the extra content for for nothing, um, but that's one I'm definitely keeping an eye on, and maybe I'll buy it for PC. Yeah, definitely. I and I knew that the recent Tomb Raider was pretty good, and I probably could go pick it up now for twenty bucks, which would be nice. You should um, do it. Yeah, good. I think that could be my next after my month of Final Fantasy again. <laughs> um, are you trying yeah. to? So, did you get a free like month included when you bought the Final Fantasy? No, they're jerks. <laughs> no, I, I had to pay forty for the new expansion and then another twelve dollars for another month. <laughs> so, are you trying to just like burn through it and then cancel? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm not going to go more than a month, especially without anybody I know. Like, it'd be fun to do dungeons with friends, but I'm just with a bunch of. Is that like the new words with friends? Is dungeons with friends? (laughs) (laughs) I wish because that's fun. But Final Fantasy Dungeons with strangers on the internet is so. uh, Yeah, that (laughs) could be another episode. You've been texting me stories about it, but. (laughs) So um, I think that's that's kind of the tour de force of TV, movies, and games. is there like an entire category we're missing? I guess I mean we didn't talk about music. We didn't talk about no we could books. Um, do you read books anymore? But I do. I'm always working on one. I might do like five a year, but still, <laughs> the latest Orson Scott card. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think with that we can wrap it then. Um, 
hopefully, listener, you got a nice tour of some of the best, the cream of the crop, and also some warning signs of some of the lesser stuff um, yes. from the year so far. And uh, maybe we should do this more often. I don't know. Um, no, I'm, I think it's great. Every couple of months, let's just kind of give what we're into yeah. lately. I think it's a cool peak. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we could do it every week, but maybe maybe every periodically. Um, so, listener. Um, Thank you for listening to episode 27 of the Pseudo Show. Uh, you can find show notes for a couple of our links um, at sunriserobot.net slash pseudo show slash 27. And uh, yeah. you'll have the uh, definitely check out the film Crit Hulk's uh, smash of the Jurassic World. His uh, critical take on it is, is worth reading. And um, we got, you know, some of the trailers we mentioned or the Radiohead uh, music video, which gets into the show notes just because I made a big deal about it. <laughs> Um, we love feedback. If you want to, you know, tell us a, a show we missed or, you know, take us down if we were wrong about one of these, um, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Medwards Music. And Justin, you are? I'm Pseudo Justin. Oh, I, I'm so envious um, uh. that you get the pseudo name. Um, so definitely tweet at us. We, we both kind of live online. If you, if you send us a message, I'm sure we'll see it within, you know, 10 minutes and probably reply immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and with that, uh, you know, Pseudo Show is on the Sunrise Robot Network, and uh, we we thrive on the support of our listeners. So if you if you want to support the network, you can head to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Sunrise Robot. And uh, you know, we like to call out to our top Patreon sponsors: Bruce Edwards, the the patriarch of the Edwards family, and uh, also Andreas Langa, uh, another of our top tier supporters. Thank you guys so much. All right, we'll see you next time on the Pseudo Show. Thanks, guys. Thank you.